0: Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 97, The Dhamma Brothers, Vipassana Meditation in Prison. This week we are joined by Jenny Phillips, the director and producer of the newly released Buddhist documentary, The Dhamma Brothers. Listen in to find out more about this amazing film and the amazing people and story behind it. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate.
1: Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is Vince Horn. I'm here with my buddy, Ryan Olke. And today we have a special guest, the director of a new movie that's come out called The Dama Brothers. Her name is Jenny Phillips, and I'll kick it over to Ryan, and he'll tell you a little bit more about Jenny. Yes, so
0: Jenny Phillips is actually here in the studio with us, which is very nice. It's always a pleasure to actually have our guests in the studio. And here in Boulder, Dama Brothers is going to be actually airing for the first time tomorrow. Tomorrow night, yeah. Is it going to be a one-time airing, or is it going to be happening like over a long, longer period? It's you know? just
2: a one-night airing of the film, yeah.
0: All right. So if you're listening live right now, get your tickets for tomorrow. Yep, Boulder Theater. If you're not in Boulder, I don't know, you can fly in, I guess. But we'll, we'll tell you how it is. <laughs> Come sleep on our couch. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I'm reading your bio. It says that you're an anthropologist. I am. Is that like yeah. the main thing that you would say, I'm an anthropologist? It sounds like you're in several... Areas you just did this documentary. You've written. You've sort of co-authored and put out this book that accompanies the documentary. But uh, what else have you done in your career? Is it just with anthropology, or are you dabbling in lots of areas?
2: Well, I got a PhD in anthropology many years ago, and then I went back and got a master's degree in psychiatric nursing, and I practice mm-hmm. psychotherapy. But I feel as if, although I'm not an academic anthropologist. Every time I meet with people, especially working with prisoners, I feel as if I'm really using my training as an anthropologist in understanding. Mm. I think going into a prison, it's really like going into another country. You kind of uh, leave your identity at the gate when you pass through that double or triple set of doors and and hear the doors slamming behind you. and, And you're really in another cultural system, and the rules are very different. I've actually been interested in the cultural rules uh, inside prisons for a long time. And I wrote an article, which is in the American Psychological Association Journal of Men and Masculinity, and it's called Culture of Manhood in Prison. Mm. Before I got involved in trying to change or transform prison culture through some of the work that I do, and many people, it's not just me, I mean, many people are working to improve the environment in prisons. But I really want to understand, how do you survive in prisons and what are the rules that you live by? And the rules aren't actually that different from the rules in the street that people live by, but they're intensified because once you go into prison as, as a prisoner, you really are just a number. You leave your belongings, you leave your various roles and friends and family members behind, and it's just kind of a raw environment in which you have to kind of reestablish yourself.
0: And the interesting thing is, it, you could use that description to describe people going in as monastics to Buddhist monasteries, leaving everything behind. And we've talked to a few different Buddhist teachers who were, they were in prison. And uh, last night, June Roshi was on the television show that I helped produce. And then he was here this morning and he described it very much like that, just what you just said there. And one other thing you said was that how to survive in prison, but the feeling I get is also how can you be transformed or how can you grow, not just survive. And that seems to be something that's part of the documentary. Is that true?
2: Yeah, yeah. When we talk about prisons being like monasteries, it in a way I Not, I, I yeah, kind of yes. grimace because <laughs> I I think it's so uh the environment is so raw and there's such a sense of of uh hopelessness and despair. Right, right. And I don't think that's true in a monastery, but I think the good news is and this is why I wanted to make the film, um I've been teaching uh a meditation based program in prisons for about 12 years now and i find that when people show up and um really bring themselves into the group and do the work the potential for personal transformation among prisoners is incredible and Mm -hmm. i think if prisoners start changing themselves and looking deeply within themselves at their own issues and finding peace and redemption inside themselves and then they generate that out into the environment Mm -hmm. it becomes a different environment and um Mm. Just to mention the prison that the film is about, um, when I first went there in in the fall of 1999, it was such an intensely unhappy place. There was such a sense of despair. It's the end of the line in the Alabama correctional system. They cannot find officers that want to work there. They're always understaffed. Nobody wants to live there as a prisoner and nobody wants to work there as a corrections officer. But there was also a sense of spirituality and potential in the air, and that's what got me going on this long journey to make the film, was that contrast between hopelessness and a sense of hope and possibility. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point, backing up to that, to not confuse the description of prison, I mean, from all the things I've seen, can be an absolutely hellish place, and certainly not every person in prison who's incarcerated is looking to transform. But I guess the thing that I got, especially watching the trailer is I got the sense that some people won't even allow the possibility of change for the people who are in prison, that it just seems like they can't change. That's the perspective. There's no possibility. They're the same people when they went in, they're the same people during it. And if they come out of it, they're the same person, but it seems like that's not the case that there is opportunity for some folks to actually make change.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of the corrections officers in any prison are, they don't really offer any potential or any hope to the prisoners. And they're there just to, you know, warehouse them and punish them at times. But there's also a lot of officers that are very enlightened or are really looking for solutions Mm. for that population. And they really come out big time when something is being offered. And when you see the film, you'll see some of the officers are very much part of the film. Mm. There's one officer in particular who just looks like a Buddha. Uh, He's called Big E, Mitch (laughs) Etheridge, and he's wonderful. And he talks about how this is an opportunity for the prisoners to be quiet, to look within themselves, and to find solutions for themselves. And he very much loves staffing those Vipassana courses because he could see what was happening. He, he was right there watching the men meditate and um, mm. it was very moving for him.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, I really, the trailer is awesome. I, I really dug it. I love the, the shots overhead of, of the, all the prisoners meditating there. I mean, anytime I see a shot like that, it doesn't matter who it is. It always gives me kind of a tingling up my spine to see people being in that space, but especially to see those prisoners when just to have them in there one time, even if they only sat for 20 minutes, I would have found just amazing and said, what's going on there? But they did this for 10 days. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, they were in the uh, the West Gym, it was called, which was transformed into a meditation center. And they had to be in there for 11 days. And when the men arrived at the door and were about to enter and they knew that the program was beginning, they had so many fears and so much doubt because their greatest fear was exactly what they were what they wanted to do but they were afraid to do mm. was to be absolutely quiet and still. And to look at things that they hadn't looked at or thought about uh, in many, many years. And the prison world is so full of distractions, and you really don't ever have an opportunity to to be still and to sit with fellow inmates and to be reflective, you mm-hmm. know and and here was this opportunity, and they wanted it, but yet they knew that when they went into yet another doorway that was going to be locked behind them, that they were giving up all the privileges of being a prisoner, scanty as they are, you know, mail and phone calls and candy bars and things like that. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to have access to them, and um, they just didn't know what was going to happen to them. They were afraid mm. how did this whole um,
1: how did the Vipassana courses come into that prison? Who was leading that and and how did they make that happen?
2: Well, that happened really as a result of many, many people working very hard over a long period of time. I guess it was my bright idea in the beginning. I went down to that prison in 1999 because I had heard that prisoners in this particular prison were teaching one another to meditate. And under the guidance of the prison psychologist, Dr. Ron Cavanaugh, and I was really fascinated by prisoners looking for the answers, not having them offered by treatment programs, so sort of making up their own treatment programs from a book called Houses of Healing. They were really teaching themselves to meditate. And I went down there in 1999 and got an opportunity to interview some of the men that ended up in the film. And uh, their stories were just very moving to me. And I realized that what they were looking for was an even more intense meditation program than Mm. they were able to create for themselves in Mm. short blocks of time. And that was when I had never heard of Vipassana before. That was my very first chance Mm. to ever hear of it. So I went to the Vipassana Center in Western Massachusetts and began talking with them. And so we concocted this idea, and then Dr. Kavanaugh became the director of treatment for the Alabama Correctional System, and he really wanted this to happen, and he knew all these men that I had met with in 1999. And so we all worked together, very much under the cooperation of the uh, Department of Corrections and Dr. Kavanaugh. You know, when you're going to do something like this inside a prison, you you have to work with the system. I mean, there's no way to go in and bust the place up with some new right, ideas. Right. You, know, you have to You have to go in— very respectfully and very quietly and work within the rules of the system to gradually create change from within. Yeah.
0: What was the specific nature in, of the meditation program? Was it uh, just simple sitting? Did they have instructions? I mean, I'm just trying to get a picture of this 10-day retreat they did, especially for our listeners who have more experience with those sorts of yeah, things.
2: so you're asking about Vipassana meditation. Yeah, Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean,
0: it, Vipassana can be a kind of general term there, but I just wonder what the daily routine was for them.
2: Well, I'll tell you it, what they did during the Vipassana program, and, and the the courses continue, actually. Mm, I, I should say nice. a couple days ago was another graduation because oh. 30 guys just went through the Vipassana program, nice. 10-day that's, program. That's awesome. Then There's now, I think, 100 men at Donaldson that have been through the Vipassana program. Wonderful. Yeah. But the the course is strictly structured, and it's all based on the same rules that apply out in courses in the free world. It's three days of focusing on the breath, anapana, mm-hmm. um, breathing, and on the fourth day you begin doing vipassana meditation, which is really rotating your awareness through the body and focusing on different areas of the body as memories and thoughts and emotions begin to come up, mm-hmm. and you begin grappling with some of some of your issues. The meditation teachers lived inside the prison with the prisoners Mm. and ministered to their their emotional and spiritual needs, teaching them the skills like they would in any kind of course in the free world, Mm. also taking care of of their physical needs and watching over them. And, you know, if somebody had an upset stomach, somebody uh, didn't feel well, you know, they were there to give them solace and, and guidance there was an assistant teacher who uh, is once removed from you know the daily ebb and flow of the course and then there's two course uh, managers mm. and that same structure pertains to any vipassana course in the in the free world
1: mm. nice and and from what i understand these are this whole vipassana tradition is under sn goenka he's the kind of the the big dog yes. uh, if you will and yeah it seems like a pretty intensive schedule like you said 10 hours a day of sitting So these guys were kind of plunged right into it, it sounds
2: like. Yes, they plunged right into it. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them had no background in meditation. Some of them had uh, one guy I'm thinking of in particular who just come out of about six years in segregation, really didn't have a sense. When you come out of that length of segregation, you don't really have a sense of how to manage yourself vis-a-vis other people. Mm. You're particularly bottled up and frightened of your emotions. and. And his name is is Edward Johnson, and he was really frightened, and was given a lot of reassurance from the course teachers right from the beginning that we will be right there with you. He was afraid of his anger; hmm. he was afraid of all the anger that had been bottled up within him for so many years, and particularly during his years in segregation. And um, what is
1: segregation?
2: Sometimes it's called the hole. It's it's hmm. you know when you're in prison, you're you're separated from society, but you're usually in general population, which means everybody's in contact with everybody else. Mm. It's not the neatly locked away in the cells kind of prison environment that we often imagine. I mean, prisoners are out and about, and they're walking to the chow hall and to the library and to various classes. But when you go into, sometimes it's called the hole or into a segregation cell, you're in there for 23 hours a day. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to get back to the your comment about Mr. Goenka, because interestingly, Mr. Goenka came into Donaldson Correctional Facility, Mm, walked in with his entourage. He was on a tour of uh, the U.S. with his family members and with various uh, teachers um, and media people and traveling around the United States in a caravan. And they came into Donaldson. The trip coincided with the end of one of the meditation courses there. And he came in and the, the prisoners knew that he was coming. And of course, at the end of ten day Vipassana course you know exactly who mr. Goenka is because sure. you're listening yeah. to his voice you're listening to his chanting you're listening to videotaped courses that that you you watch each evening and they knew that he was going to be there and when they opened their eyes on the eleventh day there he was sitting among them mm-hmm. and we actually filmed that and Interestingly enough, he didn't make the cut to get into the film. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) going We also interviewed Dr. Richie Davidson, who's Uh one of the world's experts on meditation in the brain and functional MRI studies of of the impact of meditation on the the brain. He also didn't make the cut. And uh, (laughs) both of them are wonderful. And the interviews with them and the B-roll of them is wonderful. And Mm. it will be in the final, I guess what we'll call the, The final edition of the film, which we're working on right now, which will have a menu and chapters and outtakes, they'll definitely be in that. Oh, wonderful. But when you're making a documentary film, and I I don't have any background in filmmaking, this is the only film I've ever made. But I realized working with the experts that I was working with that you really need to tell a a simple story and it needs to have sort of direction to it Mm -hmm. and a climax. And you can't get off onto these side tangents. This film was not about Mr. Goenka. And it was not about the science of meditation, although both of those are really important. It was really a film about prisoners as the central characters. Mm-hmm. There's very few talking heads in the film. And and if they're the talking heads, the experts, the non-prisoners that are in the film, are there for very, very specific reasons because they're supporting the stories of the prisoners.
0: Mm-hmm. Was there any sort of research being done at the same time? I mean, it seemed like the main Drive here was to film a story, like you said, and share the story, share this experience. but uh, being how so you're a PhD anthropologist, I wonder, was there any <laughs> sorts of things set up at the same time parallel to that to, uh, to document the progress of the prisoners in any sort of way?
2: Well, I'm glad you asked that because the answer is yes. Um, oh, cool. Not right away. Uh, you know, when we first did this, uh, the first course was in January 2002. Second course when Mr. Goenka came in was in May 2002. And then I don't want to give away what happens in the film because there's something very shocking that happens Mm. in the film that really makes... um, When it happened, I was so upset. I wanted to... uh, Just to go away and die somewhere. I was so upset Ah. because I felt it was all over with. Um, Mm. But it ends up being the climax uh, somewhere in the middle of the film, embedded Mm. in the film. But I don't think we realized in the beginning what we had. And when I began to realize I knew I wanted to make a film... And also, Dr. Kavanaugh, who, as I mentioned, is the director of treatment for the Alabama Department of Corrections, uh, knew that that it was really important to do research on this. Because when you see the film, and also when you read the book, Letters from the Dahmer Brothers, you can tell sort of experientially, subjectively, that something very important happened to these men. But there will be the naysayers, the doubters, that will say, well, you know, this is just, um, this is silly. This isn't real. Yeah. And I know actually some of the serious Vipassana meditators don't like the science of it because they say you'll never be able to scientifically describe what happens during a Vipassana sitting. Mm -hmm. But I think both sides of the coin are really important. The University of Alabama is doing a very, very serious, intensive piece of research. There are controls. The experimental group are the prisoners that are sitting the 10-day course. The control group. Uh, obviously, uh, they're carefully matched, and they haven't had the Vipassana course. Already, Dr. Kavanaugh can see that um, you can't measure recidivism in a long-stay institution like Donaldson. But already, you can say that institutionally, there are less disciplinary reports. I think he said 20% less disciplinary wow. reports, infractions from the men. They're looking at all kinds of psychological and medical variables here. Wow! Yeah. They just reached the um, statistically significant number of a hundred, and so now the research will begin to the numbers will begin to be crunched, and they'll be able to come up with some very specific data soon, saying what is the impact on aggression and depression mm. and uh, things like alexithymia, which uh, can be measured. Alexithymia means inability to have the language for or uh, the awareness of uh, your own emotions. Mm. So there are there's scales to look at that. I, I think there's going to be real evidence that these men not only have an awareness of their emotions, can they describe their emotions, they can also regulate their mm. emotions. Mm-hmm. They can have compassion for others. So mm-hmm. being able to make choices about how you yourself behave and to have understanding that other people have emotions too and be able to take that into consideration when you're trying to measure up The other person and how they're behaving in front of you um, really gives you choices. I can say over the years of working with prisoners, so many times men have said, I now can walk away from things. Mm. I now have choices for myself. I don't feel like it's the end of the line for me if I don't knock this guy's lights out, you know, but I can Mm -hmm. walk away and smile. That's or powerful. or just or just not yeah. draw so much violence to me as I'm walking down the hallway. I'm not drawing that to myself. Mm. I think men often feel in prison as if they have to swagger and posture because otherwise they're scared that they're not going to be safe. Right. And mm. really having a sense of that peacefulness. And the other prisoners notice when the Vipassana meditators come out of the program and walk out and go into the units, they know that something has shifted in them. Mm. And they... And they all say, we want some of that good stuff too, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of like a yeast culture in a bunch of bread dough, you know, it's kind of spreading and it's impacting the whole, the whole loaf is, is being impacted. There's really a a different feeling at Donaldson right now, which you can really, I was there just, I was lucky enough to be there a couple of weeks ago and you can really feel that change Mm -hmm. in the air there.
1: That's amazing. Wonderful. That's That's amazing. Yeah. I'm wondering where do you see all of this heading? Do you think by gathering research and, and getting some actual quantitative proof, if you will, that that this is beneficial. Do you think this has the possibility of spreading to other prison facilities?
2: I do. I mean, already I'm getting phone calls from departments of corrections. We have a new commissioner of corrections in Massachusetts who saw the film and called me up and said that he wanted to meet. Wow. And, and he's also the new head of the American Correctional Association, and he's bringing some of his top deputies to sit down. With not just me, but I mean some of the Vipassana teachers, so mm. that they can really talk about what would it mean to integrate Vipassana into a whole correctional system. Wow. Yeah, I can see I can see this, and, and, and other tools. I mean, I think this is just a, a very important tool for correctional reform, and I think the timing is right right now. Last year, I think it was last spring, the Second Chance Act passed in Congress, mm. which provides legislation behind the walls and in the communities for prisoners who are returning to the communities to get our rehabilitation programs. I think there's a real sea change happening right now in corrections and I think this can really be part of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the first film I saw that that was about Vipassana was a film which you know doing time doing Vipassana and it was a uh, about Vipassana courses happening in Indian prisons. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned before we got on the air here that that your film was different, fundamentally different in the way that you went about it. And I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that, because I think it was an interesting point.
2: Yeah, what I wanted to do was, and I kind of thought I was crazy to want to do this in the beginning, but I think it's what the film is, really, is uh, I I wanted it to be a story in which the central characters were the prisoners themselves, and the audience could actually walk in the shoes of the prisoners. And even though it's not a soft-on-crime film, we don't uh, tiptoe around... The crimes these men did, some of them less serious crimes than other in my opinion, but, but I don't even go there in the film because it's really about, about human potential and uh, offering tools for personal transformation. But I think Doing Time, Doing Vipassana is a very, very deeply spiritual film and uh, it's very moving, but I didn't feel that the character development was strong enough When you think about that film, I don't think you remember who the prisoners really were. There's one guy, you you sort of get to know him a little bit, but I think with the guys in my film, there's four men in particular. I almost could have chosen any of the men that have sat sat Vipassana um, because they're all giants in my mind, just because they stepped up to the plate and they went through this program and they have so much to say Mm. about their lives before and, and their ability to really hunker down and look at themselves. So it's a film about um, prisoners from the inside. With some of the cases, we actually meet their families, we go into their homes, we look at their crimes.
0: So when uh, someone goes to see this documentary, what do you hope they leave with?
2: Oh, that's a very good question. I, I guess I'd like to, well, I'll just say it. I'd like to change people's minds about prisoners. I'd like to have people open their hearts so that they can really include prisoners in in the scale of humanity. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much ignorance out there about prisoners, and I think we forget that they're human beings that have really gotten stuck in their lives. And I sometimes think of incarceration as, in and of itself, not such a bad thing, but it's like building a bridge halfway across the water. You know, we've sent people Mm -hmm. off to this place, and they need to get to the other side, and they don't have the skills to get to the other side. So I guess just in terms of the general public, I'd like people to become activists in terms of advocating for change uh, in prisons. And mm. About 20 years ago, we took prison treatment programs out of prisons. We stripped them all away, even GED programs. Mm. I'd like to see the public sort of militate for bringing programs back into prisons.
1: Mm. It seems like this is a great way to do that by showing yeah. intimately the benefits of those kind of transformational
2: yeah, I mean, I love doing Q&As after films because I find that... I haven't had the, the negative people sort of saying... Actually, on the Oprah Winfrey show, I felt I was the most challenged I'd ever been because she, she asked me, like a good journalist, you know, why do prisoners deserve to be happy? And she was posing it for the public. I don't think she yeah. personally felt that way herself. But I really like the public to, to get below the surface thinking about prisoners and really deeply see the humanity in these guys. Wonderful. That's my greatest hope.
1: Nice.
2: Great. Thank
1: you. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us. I just want to mention for everyone that's been listening and that's interested in seeing this movie that they can go to damabrothers.com, which is D-H-A-M-M-A, and there should be a list there of cities that the movie's going to be previewed in, and I suspect in the future uh, have information about where you can buy the DVD when it gets to that point or
2: Well, right now you can buy the DVD from the website. Oh, you can? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Awesome. 1999. Okay, cool. Yeah. And there's also an opportunity to get in touch with us if if you're interested in having a a screening in your community, a non-theatrical screening, because we're doing a lot of those as well.
1: Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference